You're listening to the Power of a Cookie podcast, episode number one. Welcome to the Power of a Cookie podcast. See how cookie decorators are using cookies to make the world better, one cookie at a time. Welcome to the Power of a Cookie podcast. Today we are doing our very first episode with Frances Dutoy from Banana Bakery. Hi, Frances. How are you? Hi, Lisa. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, we are thrilled that you are here. I'm going to tell everybody a little bit of a story, and you jump in anytime you want to. Um, this year, when I was at CookieCon, I went to breakfast with a few friends, and they brought friends, and Frances was one of the people that ended up being at our breakfast table. Well, I kind of went around the table and asked everybody how they got started decorating cookies, and when Frances spoke, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. My mouth was on the floor. I could not believe her story. I am fascinated with it, and I thought this would definitely be something that you guys wanted to hear. So, Frances, will you tell us about how you started baking cookies? Sure. It was 2010, and I was actually living in China with my husband. I had been there for about three years, and it was really a combination of a few things that led me to start baking. I have a huge sweet tooth and it's almost impossible to find a real Western style baked good in China. And I've also always been a creative person. And at the time I was working, but I was a, in a non-creative position and I was going really crazy without a hobby. And the third thing is my husband was always traveling for work. So I was a little bit bored. Um, baking blogs were just starting to become popular and I had found Bakerella, Bake at 350, Sweet Sugar Bell, just to name a few. And I was obsessed. So I went on to Wilton.com and I ordered pretty much one of everything they had on their website. And on my husband's next business trip back to the States, I had him bring the box back to me. And I was so excited when the box finally came, but I didn't have any kind of mixer. I didn't have an oven. So you can imagine my first attempt at baking sugar cookies was a complete disaster. I had a small toaster oven that barely fit two slices of toast. And I tried to use a hand a hand whisk to make the royal icing, and it was definitely not successful. I can't imagine anybody making royal icing with a hand whisk. Is that one of those old timey crank ones where you twist the knob on the side, like no, my grandmother had? Like, no, like a <laughs> standalone whisk that Got you it. would maybe make scrambled eggs. Uh, I just I can't imagine anybody doing that with royal icing. And you said it didn't turn out. I'm so sorry no. for that. <laughs> But luckily, we were moving soon, um, still within China, but it was to a different city that had a lot more expats. And we were able to find an apartment that had a small oven. I was ecstatic. And I made a trip to Hong Kong, and I bought myself a hand mixer. Yay! And I was <laughs> determined to figure out how to bake, especially with all my fancy new toys that I had just got. We moved to a city with a lot of expats, and they had tons of kids. And so all I really wanted to do was start a baking business, making cupcakes and cakes for kids' birthday parties. Now, is that mainly what you did at this point, was to make any kind of baked goods for birthday parties and and things like that? Were you, I guess my question is, were you really into cookies at that point, or was it just kind of any baked goods? No, at that time, it was just any baked goods. And I was really more into, um, I thought I would like cupcakes, cake pops, stuff like that. And so I just really slowly got into the cookies. But when I started, I was making everything. (laughs) That is so good. And so um, 
You also told me a story. I want to back up just a little bit to the hand mixer. And you said that you found a small oven. Like, how different, how did you feel going from a small toaster to an oven? I mean, I bet you felt like you were in heaven. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Most of the apartments in China don't have ovens. They just don't use ovens. But it still was probably two-thirds of the size of one of our standard ovens here. Wow. So everything was, you know, smaller scale, small baking sheets. I could fit one cake pan in the oven rather than two or three. But still, that had to be better than the toaster oven. I mean, I am so proud of you for even trying to bake something with a toaster oven because, honestly, I would not even know where to start. So the fact that you were successful doing that, I mean, my hat's off to you, girl. That's, that's very impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it took a lot of tries. <laughs> and then, like, the next thing that you talked to me about when you were telling me your story at CookieCon and for those of you who haven't been to Cookie Con, seriously, you need to go. You meet people like Francis. Yeah, and it's so much fun. It's such an amazing place. So if you get a chance to go, please, please, please go. And I'll probably be there. So look me up. So Francis, the next thing that you told me was like trying to find ingredients in Hong Kong. Like they don't have Walmarts on every corner or even grocery stores on every corner. So tell us how you, what you had to go through to get ingredients to bake. Well, finding ingredients definitely was the biggest challenge. Imported ingredients were super limited and they were very expensive and usually expired or spoiled. I can't tell you how many times I found small beetles in any kind of packaged food that I bought. It was awful. So the, the flour was kind of easy to find. There was actually a Walmart and I could only get high gluten and low gluten flour, which was like bread and cake flour. So I figured out that if I used half and half, in each of my recipes, it was a pretty good substitute for all-purpose flour. Wow. Again, that's impressive that you, you know, are in China and you figured this out on your own. That's, I'm, you are so good. <laughs> well, I was also able to get butter at a restaurant supply store because if I bought at the local grocery store, it costs a fortune. So they would deliver a block of 25 kilos of butter to my apartment probably every few months. And they would drop it off and set it on my dining room table and I would let it sit overnight to soften. Then the next day I would take a scale. It wasn't even a digital scale and my biggest knife. And I would sit for two hours and cut up one cup blocks of butter. Oh my and that's goodness. roughly 110 cups of butter. Ugh. And at the time it was costing me about the equivalent of $160. And that would be my evening. Take oh. up an entire refrigerator when I was done. Oh my goodness. So for two hours, you sat there and sliced butter and put it into cups. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine. What kind of containers did you store it in, in the refrigerator? Did you use like plastic wrap or? Yeah, I would get small, um, you know, like the produce bags that you get at the grocery store. I yeah. was able to buy rolls of those, but smaller size. So they weren't wow. perfect. Wow. Okay. On to the next ingredient. This story was like, again, this totally just blew my mind. So eggs were easy, but they don't sort by size. So sometimes I had to mix and match huge and tiny eggs to, to equal like what we would consider a large egg. And I always had to crack the eggs in a separate bowl because almost every week I had rotten eggs. And that's something that I have never encountered Yuck. here in America. <laughs> and I bet you never want to encounter that again. <laughs> no, no, it was awful. <laughs> that is truly an awful thing. But, you know, thank goodness here our eggs are usually... Good and fresh. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so some of the ingredients I had to buy in Hong Kong, which was 
roughly a 45 minute ferry trip from my apartment. So when I was running low, I would plan a day trip. I would buy the earliest ferry ticket I could and walk to the ferry terminal with my backpack and a rolling suitcase. Once I arrived to Hong Kong, I would walk or take the train to all the baking stores that I knew of and slowly I'd fill my bags with powdered sugar, cocoa, chocolate, baking powder, and just a few other miscellaneous ingredients. And the baking stores were all really small and had pretty limited quantities. So it was it was almost possible, you know, almost sure that every baking store would be out of something that I needed. So I would really spend the whole day walking from one to one and buy everything they had of whatever it was I needed. And it would be a full day of walking. Goodness gracious. I, I can't imagine. Yeah, I'd get back to the ferry and I'd have to go through customs and we had to put our bags through one of the conveyor belts. And I would always get stares from everybody as they'd open my bag. <laughs> and it's just like boxes of sugar and bags of cocoa. And they'd look at me like, what is this girl doing? <laughs> and you're so thin. I bet you really get some strange looks. <laughs> it was exhausting. But you know what? I would get back home into my apartment, put everything on the floor and kind of like take an inventory of everything I was able to buy. And it was so rewarding. Like it was such a challenge to get everything, but it was so rewarding being able to look at what I had and kind of count like how many weeks that would get me through and sort it all out. I had these big plastic tubs in one of the spare bedrooms, but you know, one would have like all the chocolate, one would have all the sugar, one would have all the nuts and coconut and whatever else I was using. Wow. I mean, I just, I can't imagine. So once you made a trip like that and you went to Hong Kong and bought all that, you said that you would take inventory and see how many weeks. So once you did that, how many weeks would that last you? One, two, three? I'd probably go about four weeks. That's good. Between trips. And then some of the ingredients I could only find in the U.S., like meringue powder, food coloring, and a lot of like cookie cutters and muffin cups, things that were kind of specialty, sprinkles. So every trip I made to the U.S., I would bring almost nothing with me so that I could fill my suitcase to the top with every kind of baking ingredient I could find. I would order stuff online, have it waiting for me. And whenever anybody from the company where my husband works would come to China, they knew that they'd have to bring me stuff. I would just ship stuff to the office all the time, and then they would come and... (laughs) have gifts for me, you know, all of my baking supplies. I can't, I can't imagine them sitting there working and then getting this nice big box thinking, oh, somebody sent me something. And then they open it and it's supplies for you. Were they ever disappointed or were they excited to help out? No, they were always excited to help out. I will say they were really good sports (laughs) about it. Um, And I also, you know, I learned how to substitute as much as I could. Like if I needed molasses, I would boil water with brown sugar and boil it down until it was thick. I would make my own buttermilk with vinegar and milk. I would make my own pumpkin puree or any kind of puree. Uh, The cans were super expensive. So I really learned how to make the most of what I had. I mean, I'm telling you, no oven, you know, like spending a whole day cutting butter and making your own molasses and, you know, I mean, seriously, buttermilk, you truly had nothing, hardly anything, but yet you were able to be successful in what you wanted to do. I mean, that's what inspires each and every one of us is you just don't give up. You know, you you keep going until you figure it out. And the fact that you made molasses, 
mean, you can do it. Anybody can do it, right? Yeah, I mean, it probably wasn't as good as the one you buy here, but it worked. You know, I was able to make gingerbread cookies and I was making all sorts of cheesecakes and brownies and breads, anything. And it was awesome because I learned so much. I was constantly experimenting. Uh, I probably had to throw away a lot, but it really taught me a lot about baking that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. Yeah, those situations kind of force you into doing things you wouldn't normally do. So next, tell us, you, you've said that you have you had a tiny kitchen. How did that work when you're trying to start a baking business? Well, most of the kitchens in Asia are really small. So my apartment was big, but the kitchen was really tiny and it was closed off. So I would leave the door open because that's what I'm used to here. But most of my baking just spilled into the dining room and living room. So I had you know, countertops were just covered in like big tubs of flour and sugar. (laughs) My baking rack was basically like our whole windowsill. Um, I had a second small refrigerator on the patio. And then eventually I was able to purchase a small standalone oven and there was nowhere to put it except for my dining room. So it's (laughs) in the middle of the dining room and all the numbers had rubbed off the front panel So I could never change the knobs. Like it was on baking mode and I didn't know what the other modes were. So I left it there and then I had to use a thermometer inside to know when it was the right temperature to start baking. And then eventually I purchased a Kenwood mixer in Hong Kong and it was amazing. Cost about (laughs) three times what a mixer here would cost. But after that, I was really able to run a pretty efficient home baking business. That's incredible. So now that you've experienced that and you've been through all that and you've moved back to the States, how does it feel to be in the States? Well, it's really made me realize how easy and convenient it is to get anything. We're so spoiled here. The first few months I was back, I was still kind of in my hoarding mode because I was so used to purchasing everything in mass quantities. And it finally sunk in that grocery stores here are usually open 24 hours a day They hardly ever run out of ingredients and I had a car so I could drive myself to the store anytime. It's kind of embarrassing how long it took me to really realize all of that. And even more convenient, I could order anything online, have it delivered. But I will say, even though I prefer the convenience of shopping here, I've never had that same feeling of satisfaction as I had in China where it was, you know, there's just so much planning an effort going into getting all of my ingredients. Did that affect or has it affected? Has it stuck with you since you're home? Are you still really organized and plan your orders and your products and stuff? Do you plan that out really well now? Yeah, I think I'm getting a little bit more relaxed, but it definitely did stick with me a little bit. Um, What really stuck with me the most is in China, I wasn't easily able to access YouTube, social media, and quite a lot of websites. When I lived there, at least a lot of the stuff was blocked. So I really missed a lot of learning opportunities from tutorials and the social media groups where everybody you know, asks questions and helps each other. But looking back, in some ways, it was really a blessing in disguise because it forced me to experiment and learn everything on my own. I had to learn from my own experiences and mistakes. I just had to test everything. And, you know, baking is definitely a science, but everything varies so much, the ingredients, the environmental factors. So what works for one person may not necessarily work for somebody else. 
So I truly believe that experimenting and a lot of practice is the best way to improve. And that's something that I still do today. Like anytime I have a question, I might look online and see what Google suggests or what somebody else suggests. But I really believe that the best way is to just try it out for myself and see what works. I agree with that. And I say that all the time on my blog, you know, especially uh, for me, it's like butter and royal icing. Those were the two challenges for me because I found myself when, you know, I wanted to make sugar cookies, I would put my butter out on the counter and let it come to room temperature, but I wouldn't necessarily pay attention to how much time I had left it out. Well, when I started researching and I heard a chef and a baker both, two different people at two different times, tell me how to thaw the butter out by leaving it sit there on the counter for one hour until it comes to room temperature. Because when you first start baking, you think, okay, butter at room temperature, it, you should be able to smush it, squeeze it and smush it. But that's not necessarily the case. So learning how, like you said, baking is a science, learning that if you leave your butter out too long, it's going to cause your cookies to spread when you bake them. Same thing with royal icing. You know, I can't tell you exactly how much water to put in your royal icing recipe. And the same thing, you can't tell me because we live in two completely different humidities. You you live in a dry humidity and I live in just the humidity of all humidities. It's like the rainforest. So one thing does not work for everybody. And that is the best advice that you could give anybody baking, I think. Yeah. And I would say even if you live in the same place year round, it could vary from season to season because where I lived in China, it was very, very humid around May and June. So when it came to the rainy season, I would have to bake my cakes for longer than normal. And I kind of realized that one season that all my cakes were coming out underbaked. Oh no. And my cookies were soft and mushy, like everything changed. And so, you know, every six months I'd kind of have to revise the way I did things just to make it work in my same place, my same house. That's true. And I, oh. and I do the same thing here with me. We may have, like, especially in the summertime, we may have several, several dry days. And the icing mostly is what I really notice it in. It, it changes. And then, you know, it may rain for three or four days. And then again, I have to back it up. So for even me, I can't use the exact same consistency of royal icing when I make it. You mm -hmm. always have to experiment and adjust. And I think that's one thing that your story taught me is just don't get Give up, always adjust, always press on, even if you have to hop on a ferry and go to Hong Kong with a backpack and a rolling suitcase yeah. just to get your supplies and then go home and make sure your eggs aren't rotten. I mean, you are, you seriously, you are probably one of, the, if not the most of the person that has inspired me the most when it comes to baking, because the way I see it, you did not give up. Your only choice was to succeed because you were so determined. And I thank you for that. It's just, you're amazing. <laughs> well, I hope I can inspire more people. At the time, I didn't think of it as work. It just was something that I became very passionate about and I really enjoyed doing it. So it was just about keeping busy and having fun while I lived in China. So <laughs> well, we're, we're truly blessed because you do it. If you guys have not seen Francis, Francis cookies or any of her bake stuff, please, I'm going to let her tell you where to find her also on the podcast page on the barefoot baker blog, you'll be able to find all of her information and please, please, please check her out and show her some love. So Francis, tell us about your bakery and how people can find you. My website is 
bananabakery.com. The best place really to see my work is on Instagram. So it's um, bananabakery underscore cookies. And I'm also on Facebook. It's also bananabakery cookies. Right now I'm taking a little bit easy because I've got a baby at home, but I'm hoping to get back into it soon and, you know, kind of start making cookies for fun for a little while. So I noticed too, I don't remember if I saw this on Facebook or Instagram or both, but occasionally you have flash sales. Will you tell us about that? Yes, I'm going to do that as often as I can, you know, even if it's not a holiday, just summer themed or fall themed. That will be just for local people in Dallas, though, because I am a home baker, so everything's in my own kitchen. But unfortunately, the Texas Cottage Food Lot does not allow me to ship. But anybody in Texas can look me up. Sorry, in Dallas. <laughs> anybody in Dallas can can follow me on Instagram, and I'll be posting that, you know, whenever I'm able to make cookies. Perfect. Okay. I just, like I said, I want to thank you so much for being here. I mean, your story totally, totally inspired me. And guys, I'm like I said, I'm going to list everything, all of her information on the blog so or on the podcast page. So please go check it out. Swing by her Instagram, swing by her Facebook and check out her amazing cookies and, you know, like her and give her little hearts on Instagram because seriously, her work is out of this world. And Francis, again, Thank you so much for inspiring us and showing us that no matter what stands against us, what stands before us, we can make it. We can we can be successful in this if we just set our mind to it. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. And okay, guys, so here's the thing. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I hope you come back. We'll have another one with a special guest in two weeks. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Power of a Cookie podcast at thebarefootbaker.com.